Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with your welcome toast. Samuel Johnson said cucumber should be well sliced, dressed with pepper and vinegar, and then thrown out. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our live audience of Food Schmooze listeners, friends, supporters, and friends of Gateway. Um, We're in Cafe Vincenzo at the Big G in downtown New Haven Gateway Community College, where its culinary training program provides our show with five professional kitchens and a TV studio. So lots of fun for us, and we're making use of all of it right now. What a show we have for you. We have decided to declare May all month Cinco de Mayo month. So you'll be able to tell that as as we go along. We have a cocktail specialist, Anthony DeSario, to explain the tequila rage. Now, we have bars with nothing but tequila in them. That is the only drink. And he is going to make a cocktail that Alex Province and I designed together, a Prosecco Margarita. I don't know. Should we taste that in the audience? We have senior contributor Mark Raymond, our wine guy, here. And the most amazing guest for us, our very special guest, is Jane Stern, who is a legend in the food world. Many of us in the food world think millions of fans do, too, because uh, she and her co-creator, Michael Stern, have created the Road Food series, which is now a website roadfood.com and is drawing people from all walks of life, all ages, every kind of community imaginable. Everybody saying, here's where to get the best this, the best that, places high and low. So we're going to get into it with Jane in just a little bit. We have senior contributor Chris Prosperi with us, and we're going to show you how to make a quesadilla a really, truly delicious one at home. I know probably a lot of people's kids will say, oh, you know, that's for me. And if kids, if you're listening in the car right now, we're going to tell you how to make a really special one. And so you hope that your mom, dad, grandmother, you hope they're all listening to this right now. I'm going to do a golf play-by-play, so if you are listening online or in your car, you'll be able to hear what I'm talking about. Okay, so Chris... Corn tortillas, like Faith loves corn tortillas. I always keep a bag in my refrigerator at home or in the freezer, right? Because you can leave them in there for months. 
you don't have to make quesadillas. You can just put them in a dry pan. And in Mexico, it's a tostada. And you just make little toasts out of them. And you eat them with uh, guacamole. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to buy the Dip bag. The yeah, wine. you don't have to buy the bag of chips anymore. You can just, you know, and if you're like me, a bag mm-hmm. of chips is one portion. <laughs> and that's not good. So I can go in the freezer and just knock a couple of these out, and then I'm done, and I don't have to eat the whole bag. <laughs> so Chris and I have a little argument. He's got this in a completely dry skillet, mm-hmm. which he had preheated. So in goes the, um, you can see it on the screen, and for you listening at home or in the car, Chris, how long do you keep it in there? I add a little oil to the bottom of the pan because I like the flavor of it. What do you do? I leave it in the pan about 30 seconds, and then I turn it, and I turn it. And it all depends on how you like it. If you like it really crispy, you leave it in there until it's almost cracker. Or, like a lot of times, I like it on the soft side, and they're still malleable. And then you can make your own little tacos. You can put your ingredients, and this is like midnight snack food. Okay. <laughs> so it all depends. So to get it really crispy, maybe three minutes. Okay. Constantly turning it. So, and here's another difference that we have. I've been reading these health books about brain power and clarity and certain things that the brain needs. It's its own system. Yes. And separate from the body, it needs things for clarity, to help heal from dementia, Alzheimer's, concussion. So I've been reading this book by these brilliant scientists and looking at brain scans, and it has had an effect on me. So my new thing is I want to make something that has all that unctuous, delicious stuff in it that we all love, but I also want to load it. So my tacos are loaded. So what's not here is that I'd be loading into my taco broccoli rob that I had just quickly blanched and then chopped up really fine, tossed in a skillet, with some olive oil, maybe a couple of red peppers, maybe a little cayenne so that it's really soft, drain it a little bit, and then I'd be plopping that right onto this quesadilla as part of the health profile. You could have put your order in last night. I, I, <laughs> okay. But that, that's the so cool go. part of these things is you can put anything in it. I like less ingredients in mine. I start with cheese, and then it can be whatever you have in your refrigerator. The recipe I gave Robin to put online is uh, just a spicy chicken one. But really, whatever last night's dinner was, you could chop up and put in there. That's cilantro. So I like a lot of... Oh, my God. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I like a lot of cilantro. I think it's a beautiful flavor. But if you don't like it, you could put something else. And so I brought some things here, as you can see. I brought some chopped up roasted tomatoes, some wild mushrooms, bacon, fresh broccoli. I just say whenever you do, just chop it up as small as you can, right? So it's nice and minced, so you don't want it all bumpy. So you make a nice little thin layer of, I'm just going to do chicken and bacon. Because someone told me the other day on the Food Schmooze, we haven't been saying bacon enough. Uh, Is that true? Maybe? I don't know. I don't think it's possible, but I'm going chicken and bacon in mine. So I'm a little mushroom. Yeah, you got everything in there. I'm a little mushrooms, chicken, lots of cilantro. Uh, not crazy, crazy amounts of cheese, though. That's what I'd like. And um, then you just take it into the dry pan and uh-huh. just let it go. And then I just make sure it doesn't stick and just leave it. So, so do you don't press? Once the cheese starts melting, then I'll start pressing. I'm going to do mine over here because I love, right? Can everyone see this over here? I used to have a George Foreman grill, right? Oh, my God. I loved my George Foreman grill. But after 26 years, it died. 
and I was going to get another one, and then I, someone gave me this as a present. I like it. I mean, it's fancier, and it, it works a little faster because it, I guess it has a little more power, but I just don't think it's as cool on my counter at home as the white, you know? Right? You know it from a distance. Like, wow, he's got a foreman grill. <laughs> We'll see which one. They should finish it about the same time. So it doesn't really matter if you did them in a pan, you do them here, or you can do them on a cookie sheet, right? <laughs> then you can do them all up ahead of time and then just serve them. The cool thing about doing it this way, though, and we did a taco party at my house not too long ago, and when Faith mentioned this as something we should do as a demo, I was thinking, you know, this could be one of those home parties. So you have guests coming over. First, you invite Anthony, so he's, he's at the door to make the cocktails for people when they come in. You can have a count, your kitchen counter set up with the cheese, right? I just take the tortillas and put them under a towel. You have all your ingredients set up, maybe a pan, right? A couple of pans on the stove or a foreman grill. About, a, a little yeah. difference. Yeah. I like to put the squeeze of uh, lime inside. Mm. Other people serve it in a bowl, and you squeeze it on the outside of the quesadilla, but I find I like it in mixing in with all the flavors. So mine, I lifted up my top and squeezed it in there and put it, put it back. It's not too late, is it? <laughs> I've never tried that. Okay. Oh. All right. So now, see how it's right. You can see it's starting to curl. That's how I know I'm going to take a rubber spatula. If you have like a burger flipper, that works too. And then you just flip it, and you can see you're already crispy on this side. Just like anything, you just don't touch it. Just leave it. It'll. Go itself, and this is like where but Faith we said. Get peak, though, right? You get to, to peak, see sure. That it's not burning. Yeah, you get to peak. This is where I usually like to pat it down. It's really hot, so if you just use a clean towel, then the cheese is nice and melted, right? And you can push all those ingredients into the cheese. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It makes it yummier. Mm -hmm. Is that a word? Yummier. And the tomatoes, if they're too wet, will sog this thing out. So what's your yeah, so I did roasted tomatoes, so I chop the tomatoes up and I'll throw them on a little cookie sheet and put them in the oven. Or if you don't, you just buy sun-dried tomatoes. Mince those up. Those work really good, too. Or the tomato goes afterwards on the side like a salsa. Yeah, because if you put wet ingredients, it doesn't matter, like tomato, any wet ingredients, this is going to kind of ooze. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just messier. <laughs> so one corn tortilla goes down, and we choose corn in case any of the guests are gluten-free. Plus, we like the taste of it with this. I think it has a better flavor, right? I do. And then into a dry pan, then we put on the layers of things in these little prep bowls, just as we'd like them. I would be adding broccoli rabe, diced oh, yeah. in a couple of, maybe some niçoise yeah. olives that are chopped up, and some diced preserved lemon in with mine. And it might have some fish in it. Yeah. Even though cheese and fish are a little dicey. No, okay. I like cheese and fish. Well, it That's... could start a war. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I like the fact that you can use anything. And the cool thing is you can take, even though this is, we're going Mexican, right? This is our Mexican wheat thing. But you can make these Moroccan like she just did with preserved lemons. Or you could or make, mashup. yeah, you could t totally do a mashup. And Faith said it at the beginning. If you have kids at home. This is it. Just take a little bit of cheese, and it's a much healthier snack than a lot of the prepared things. You could just do a little bit of cheese and the tortillas, and that's it. And it's a great little nosh. Okay. So we're good, right? So see we're how, good. See how it's nice and crispy on this side? Once it starts becoming free from the pan, then you Are know you you're pretty do close. A fancy flipping no, thing? I don't do the fancy flip. Some people know how to do that, but I always get it all over the place. Try it, though. Try a flip. Should I try a flip? All right. Oh. All right, so I did it. <sighs> That was a lot of pressure to put me under, though. <laughs>
to go. All right, then okay. we just, right, we cut and serve. Okay, and out they come. How's that for timing? Okay. <laughs> wow. I am with our cocktail guy, Anthony Desario. We're going to be doing some great stuff with a Prosecco margarita and a little discussion about tequila and why it's such a rage. Jane Stern is here from Road Food. Mark Raymond, our wine guy, who's going to have wines all over the place. Now, Jane, that strikes me, and I'm sure we'll go into our next segment with this. When we look at this, I'm thinking, it's a sandwich, right? Do you see it that way? No. (laughs) (laughs) I... I do not see it as a sandwich. How about now? A sandwich. Right. Uh, Looking at it now. No. No. It's, Why not? It's, it's something in a thing. I mean, it's, you could, that's like calling a dumpling a sandwich. It's dough with a yeah. filling. Okay. And it just it's not fused together. So it's uh, not an empanada. It's not a Jamaican meat pie. It's so not it's, a sandwich. It's not a sandwich. Okay. Well, that's our show for this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not so a great sandwich eater, and it's yeah, purely physiological because my mouth doesn't open really wide enough for those giant stacked deli things, you know, with like 25 layers of pastrami and whatever. I think you have to be like a, what kind of snake is it that, unhinges his jaw, you know, and then eats a whole human being. My my writing partner, Michael. Happy you know, Booch Moose. Yeah, has, he's a sandwich guy. So what is a proper sandwich? The reason I'm asking is that someone said on, I don't know if it was Chow Hound or one of the blogs online, let me see if you agree with this. The sandwich is the greatest food invention ever. Oh, (laughs) no, of course it's not the greatest food invention ever. Mm -hmm. It's stuff put between two pieces of bread. I mean, what kind of invention is that? Well, so the legend has it that the Earl of Sandwich in the 1700s wanted something he could hold in one hand, like a meal, and keep gambling with his other hand. Which sounds suspiciously like Mel Brooks. Well, according to Mel Brooks to me, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, the perfect sandwich for me, and again, please keep in mind that I like a very flat, skinny sandwich, is a really good grilled cheese and bacon Ooh, sandwich. Yeah. With white yeah. bread, with bacon. a lot of butter in yeah. the pan, and bacon that has been cooked with molasses. Ooh, yeah. It is the ultimate. And I used to have a George Foreman grill also. Um, And I had a panini press. And now I just have one of those bricks. Yeah, that you put on top of it. That I, you know, wrap Mm. in aluminum foil and put it in the pan. And so Uh, the grilled cheese is, you know. Is it like a quesadilla? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's dainty. Well, let's do lightning round, because I started thinking about sandwiches. What are the iconic categories of sandwiches? And then we'll take a break, and we have lots of great stuff coming your way. So lightning round, kinds of sandwiches. I'll start us off. Club sandwich. Go, Jane. Open hot sandwich, as in turkey or roast beef. Okay. Mark. In the world of bacon, BLT. Yeah. I'm going to say po' boy. Ooh. Mm. Oh, bun me, the, the oh, Vietnamese one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, with all yeah. the relishes and pickled vegetables. Pickled vegetables, A little yeah. pate on it. Oh, yeah. Oh. 
It's just funny. No one said the hamburger. Is anybody thinking that? Oh. Hamburger, hamburger. We're going to yeah. go over to Louis Lunch. For yeah. 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 Thinking that. Um, any other sandwiches come to mind? Yeah. Just shout it out in the audience. Just feel... Pull pork sandwich. Excellent audience member. Ruben. Ruben. Oh, yeah. The classic. Classic. Summer oh, tomato yeah. sandwiches. Cucumber cheese sandwiches. Yes. My okay. favorite. Muffaletta from New Orleans. Yeah. No, yeah. One's, no one said yeah. anything about that. Um, and you would have to go into the, the ge- geographical. Yeah. Is it a oh, hoagie, a grinder, yeah. a po, po- boy? A, yeah. There's so many yeah. regional variations for this, basically the yes. same thing. But is there a subcategory for the mile high sandwich? I'm thinking about the pastrami at Katz's mm-hmm. in New York. It, is that its own category because of the architecture? Mm. Like a Dagwood. Deli sandwiches. Okay. Have you ever been to, of course, I can't remember the name of it. It's in Edison, New Jersey, and it's a Jewish deli, and everything they serve where at the Second Avenue Deli or the Carnegie Deli, the sandwich would be this big in Edison, New Jersey. It's like a yard high, and if you ask for a piece of cake, it's half the cake. Nice. So it's high <laughs> wonderful. So lightning round officially over. We're going to have to take a quick break. Love that you're here. You might know that we are at Cafe Vincenzo with Friends of Gateway, downtown New Haven, and our friends at Connecticut Public Radio. Supporters just adore everyone here. Lots of staff all around, sound crews. Thank you so much for making this happen. We have lots more coming your way, especially I want to ask Jane about some of the most unusual things that she has come upon on her road trips and I can always tell it's something I've never thought of. <laughs> so stick around for that, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to our party edition of the Food Schmooze here at Gateway Community College, where we have... Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. What an audience we have here. Um, And so uh, we're right downtown New Haven, as you can hear, with sirens going by. (laughs) Uh, We can see all of life outside and certainly through this building. And I wanted to turn back to Jane Stern uh, because of her amazing career on the road and the things she has come upon and the hours I have spent over a dinner table with Jane roaring about the things <laughs> that she has encountered as she, as she goes. I never like to focus on this too, too much, but I can't resist because you're here. What about one of the more unusual things that you and you and Michael might have stumbled on in some part of the country? You know, I was prepared to have test anxiety when you threw that question at me and everything <laughs> would lead. But I am just fortuitously just in the middle of writing 
a piece for the Paris Review that I do once a month about whatever I feel like writing about. And this is about the weirdest foods that Michael and I have encountered in our 4,000 years of traveling across the country looking for regional American food. The way I started the article is that most people say, what's the best meal you ever had? But occasionally we get, what's the worst meal you ever had? Or what, what would be the last meal you'd have if, if you knew you were going to die in an hour? Michael used to always say the blooming onion at Outback because I would be so sick to my stomach I would wish for death. But um, I have a different answer. Um, some of the... Okay. Anyone been in, to Butte, Montana? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's wonderful. Oh, one, one, one. Okay, it's a mining town that basically about... 80 years ago, the entire town slid into the open mine. And, you know, it's an interesting town in many ways. But we went to the M&M Bar, which is the bar that Jack Kerouac wrote about in On the Road and said it was the greatest bar he'd ever been to. And Hunter Thompson actually said he was afraid to go into the (laughs) M&M. So, you know, what can I say? So we went into the M&M. It was like walking into the cantina scene with the aliens in Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, every person at the bar was missing a significant body part. You know, an eye, a nose, ears. There were two guys who had no legs who were strapped to their bar stools with belts, and they each had revolvers on their hip. So that's kind of will give you a sense of the M&M. But we wanted to eat, because that's what we do. So finally, a really annoyed-looking lady came by and said, if you want food, sit there. So we sat there. And I said, can I see a menu? And she said, spaghetti. And I said, okay, that's what you have. Yeah, all right, spaghetti. Now, <laughs> here's where it gets really surreal. She went behind a dusty floral curtain and came out with a plastic storage box like you store shoes in. <laughs> and there was... <laughs> cooked spaghetti in, you know, the, the, the pasta was like this, about this big in what looked like ketchup. And she opened the plastic box and she said, you want me to heat it up? And I said, no, it's, it's fine. And I kept thinking, why? How long has this been here? Does, did Jack Kerouac make it? I mean, you know, what, what is the deal? So that is just in my mind because I'm writing about it right now. Was there a sauce? Was there any sauce? Ketchup. Just plain ketchup? I yeah. actually didn't taste it. I was afraid of it. Yeah. But she put a ketchup thing on the table and said, there's oh. more sauce if you want it. I mean, it could have been there for like 50 years. I don't know. I I call that hurricane food. You know, you just will do anything with anything if there's a hurricane and you have nothing. Michael and I last month went to a restaurant in Arkansas that has something that I don't care for. But if I don't care for it, we order it and Michael eats it. And it was frog legs because they're big on catching frogs out of their swamps or whatever they do down there. I've had frog legs in French restaurant and they were, they look like chicken, you know, like drumsticks. This was, they just cut the frog off at the waist and deep fried it, you know, and it looked like you could pick it up and make it, you know, march around the table. Mm. So, okay. Next. Oh. 
Oh, oh. How you know fresh, right? Oh. How about greatest surprise? You you pull up to a place and you think, oh, nothing's going to happen. Oh, nor do we want anything to happen in here. We've had it on the road. You get in there and you think, what? In a good in, way, in, in or a good like way. the epiphany in a good way. that you like, don't oh, expect. I, I didn't want to work, but oh, now look, they've got something great. In Constantly, here. and and that's what keeps us on the road. When Michael and I are on the road, now that we're ancient, it's less. But in our prime, we used to drive like three, four hundred miles a day, and we would have three breakfasts, three lunches, and three dinners. Whoa! And Michael's skinny as a rail. We started like three a.m. because the town cafes opened at four a.m. and you know usually closed at one p.m. So we drive and drive and drive and drive, and usually by the end of the day, Michael and I were just like, oh, I can't. Stop. Stay on this. This is like the worst job on earth. Why are we doing this? I hate it. I want to go home. And that's exactly when we would see the oasis of greatness, you know, like Ma Gruber's pig and plate, you know, since 1903. You want to go out and you get out of the car and look in there. And it was always the last thing of the day. And it was always the thing that made us get back in the car the next day and go back on the road. Wasn't Didn't that happen to you at some Polynesian place? Oh, you're thinking you... the dinner I made for you at my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really... <laughs> We've known was... each other forever. That was somehow else you're going to get... Of course, that's why Jane Stern is on this show. Right. I mean, you can't get Jane Stern. It's Polynesian. <laughs> I mean, obviously not real Polynesian. Well, you were testing a cookbook. 1950s. American Polynesian, and I remember making you rice that had been boiled in grape juice, grape juice. as it was oh. purple. Yep, yep. And it was a really um, good sport. Nicely sweet, <laughs> <laughs> but the best was when you came out with the flaming oh God. cabbage. Platter. Well, it was a poopy platter. It was like little hot dogs on toothpicks stuck into a cabbage yeah. that we poured, I don't well, know, you, Drano you, you, over and set no, it on fire. No, no, what you had done is you cored out the top yes. and put a sterno, a sterno in it. in the top. And so sterno flames were coming out of the top of the cabbage. Listen, when I, when I host a dinner, this was, I go all out. This was like... <laughs> Polynesian pigs in a blanket kind of oh, a thing. Yeah. So, so you were to take your little hot dog, your little Vienna sausage, on the toothpick and you know yank it out of the cabbage somehow, and then hold it over the three little flames <laughs> on a toothpick. That's this big. Right. And I forget what the drink was. Well, I don't even know how you could concentrate because at that point. I had three bull mastiffs, the smallest ones, 130 pounds, and they all like to sit on Faith's lap. <laughs> so, you know, I could have given you paper to eat, and it was, you know, we were just yeah. trying to negotiate around the dog. Yeah. So. Do you still have your parrot? Michael has the parrot. Okay. Michael and I split up nine years ago, and he now lives in South Carolina. And we have a 42-year-old parrot. I adore the parrot, Michael adores the parrot, but the parrot is truly in love with Michael. Plus, Michael remarried, which 
pisses me off to this minute. <laughs> and the parrot speaks in my voice. Nice. And so Michael is living with his new wife in South Carolina. And the bird in my exact... You know, Michael, excuse me, Michael, can you come into my office a minute? I have to add... So, ha, 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 my revenge. Uh, <laughs> that's beautiful. Uh, I was going to say, when you have your head on your pillow and your parrot perched on your shoulder, and you do think to yourself, oh, I wish I could go back to X and have that jar of preserves or that special cookie or slice of that pie. Is there one that frequently comes back to you? Yeah, like 20 times a day. Oh, um, what is it? It depends one? on oh. where I am in America. When I'm out of Connecticut, I crave pizza, and I want to go to Modern, or I want to go to Roseland or something. When I'm here, I want to go to Sanitary Tortilla in Albuquerque and get tacos. So it's always the thing I can't have, which is sort of the story of my life in general. <laughs> but... Um, my major food groups are cookies and cake. So when I start riffing on the thing I really want, it's usually cake. Yeah. Some sort like of Like a cake. lemon cake of some kind. Yeah, I just had a key lime cake last night from the Cake Box in Ridgefield, which is the best bakery in Connecticut. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have brought you a slice. No, you did not. No, I didn't. Oh. I thought I should have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll go home and get okay. it. Okay. Your road food books are still being sold like crazy, but now there's this roadfood.com site. And what's the deal with this? So if I'm here in my town and I discover something unusual, like the greatest Manhattan that's been made at such and such a place, the idea would be that I would go yeah, online. Yeah, go online and post and then what you want. So you're telling people in, from the area who are reading it too that they could go experience that? Are you curating from those and saying, oh, we should go there? It's a big website. Road food, I mean, this sounds like such schlocky buyout stuff, but it was my dream at a certain age. Because writing is, you know, you live from paycheck to paycheck, and publishing is in the toilet these days. So Michael and I just did not know what to do. We had been at Gourmet for 18 years. We had a show on NPR, and everything folded and folded and folded and folded. So this company named Fexy, F-E-X-Y, that's in Seattle. Do you guys ever go on all recipes mm-hmm. online? Okay, they started that for $10,000. They sold it six years ago for $287 million. <laughs> and with their money, they bought up five of their favorite food sites, and Road Food is one of them. So Fexy runs it now in Seattle. Michael and I of course, oversee the whole thing. It's roadfood.com. And I have to throw this in. Not only do we have this cool website, we now have the Jane and Michael Stern permanent collection at the Smithsonian as of a year ago. Um, Should I quickly tell that story? Yeah. Okay. When Michael and I divorced, Michael moved away, and I still live in Connecticut, which I love and will never leave. And we had to split everything up. I moved into a teeny-weeny little house, and we had to rent a storage locker. And storage lockers are expensive. I mean, they're a couple of hundred bucks a month. 
for crap that we never looked at. And when I say crap, I mean a napkin we had wiped our lips with 35 years ago in Nebraska. You know, we were like hoarders. So we were at the Smithsonian, and one of the curators said, oh, aren't you the Stearns? And we said, yes, and she took us out to lunch. And I was griping about the storage locker for some reason. And she said, would it be okay if we, meaning all four curators, came down and looked at it? I said, you can come down and take everything, which is, in fact, what they did. They took four truckloads of stuff, including my bra and our tax records, <laughs> which are all through. And they came into the storage locker wearing white gloves, you know, as if they were at the Beinecke Library. <laughs> so if you go to Washington, you can see what used to be our garbage in the storage locker is now beautifully curated at the Smithsonian. <laughs> It's such a good story, honestly. It was just so odd that it happened. I know. Because it was like, should we throw it in the dumpster? No, let's give it to the Smithsonian. Okay. There goes recycling. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Well, stay right with us, because we have many things coming up, including a beautiful rosé. It's called 11 Minutes because of skin contact, and it's such a gorgeous color. We're going to tell all of you as you're listening online or in the car just to go to the website. Everything we've talked about is at foodschmooze.org. I will give a new card to someone who could spell schmooze. Go ahead. Go ahead. A man said to me once, beautiful Yiddish-speaking man, he said, you're mispronouncing it. You don't say schmooze like that. He said, it's supposed to be schmooze. No. I said, if that's technically correct, I can't get Maybe on the radio and say... <laughs> Which is dirt, Way too schmutz. close. Way too schmutz. close. Welcome to the food schmutz. Yeah. It's like, I can't. I'm just going to have to be wrong. He was very annoyed with me. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then coming up, we've got wine and uh, cocktail making with Anthony DeSerio here at the Big G, Cafe Vincenzo at Gateway Community College with a live, gorgeous audience. Thanks for staying with us. Here we go. We'll go right back. Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast anytime you like at foodschmooze.org and all the recipes, wines, everything we've talked about posted there. Uh, We have Jane Stern, we have Mark Raymond, 
Chris Brasberry, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. And we're going now to our chief cocktail guy, Anthony Desario, who... Um, some time ago, Alex Province, our other senior contributor who can't be here today, he and I made up this margarita cocktail, this being Cinco de Mayo month, as far as we're <laughs> concerned. And so margarita ingredients and topped with Prosecco. And I said, Anthony, would you do that? And he said, yes. He said, and I've made a couple of tweaks myself. <laughs> so this is now um, three people's concoction. Anthony's going to tell us, after you have a sip, go ahead, have a sip. That's delicious. I think it's delicious. Anthony's going to tell us a couple things. How he made this cocktail, and well, I'm going to quiz him a little bit about tequila. Okay, okay. Anthony. It's a big test. Thank you for setting me inspiration for yet another beautiful cocktail. This is just to show you that when you see recipes that we post online, that nothing is ever written in stone. You can make anything your own based on your matter of taste. Uh, I like really aggressive agave forward tequilas, so our friends at Patron sent us some tequila for this cocktail. It's uh, off of the Roca line, so it's a very heavy agave base as you can taste a little more of that note in this cocktail. It's got a half an ounce of tequila. It has a half ounce of orange liqueur, which triple sec, Grand Marnier, whatever you like to use. Uh, again, our friends at Patron sent us their own version of their triple sec, which is called Grand Citronage Orange. And then our friends over at Ripe, uh, out of Wallingford or out of New Haven, Connecticut, it's a fresh squeeze cocktail mixer, all natural. They sent us some lime juice. And then we top it off with two ounces of sparkling wine, Prosecco. Uh, we've talked about cava on the show. So taste is a matter of taste, something that you like. You want something sweeter, you want something drier. Just taste it as you go. And actually what I did with it was I pre-batched it last night except for the wine and I kept it in the refrigerator so the tequila, the lime, and the triple sec were all sitting in the fridge. So you can do this for a large event and make a punch just like we did today and pour it for everybody all at once. So, Anthony, I tend to try to make low-sugar cocktails as much as I can, except for the Manhattan. <laughs> I can't resist. <laughs> With a drink like this or any margarita, instead of putting orange liqueur in, I will take an orange and squeeze it yes. fresh, fresh lime yep. juice into the with the tequila, yep. maybe a tiny bit of salt on the rim, and I like the cleanliness of it. Oh, if it was yeah. too sour, I might put just a little touch of simple syrup, which is water and sugar melted together. Could you do that with something like this? You can, that's actually exactly what we did. Uh, just to throw a shout-out to the guys over at Ripe, their cocktail mix is fresh squeezed lemon. There's one Valencia orange in every single bottle, and they just put a splash of agave nectar, so you don't need to use triple sec. So if you want to do a skinny margarita and you don't want that extra hangover from a high sugary triple sec, you can leave that out. Is anyone in the audience from Mexico? Mexico? Mexico. I grew up in Nogales. Did you have margaritas there? Oh, she was drinking Palomas uh, over there. My parents did. Okay, because I'm yeah. wondering if you live in... No, actually, they just had straight tequila. Straight, yeah. straight tequila and, uh, yeah. and Palomas. Yeah. yeah, that's a perfect segue into what in the world... You're seeing this, Jane, Mark, everybody. What is going on with tequila as the rage? Tequila bars only, no other liquor in there. There are restaurants in, in New York that are like that where they just serve one thing. There's a restaurant called Grilled Cheese, and that's all <laughs> yeah. they make. One makes risotto. That's it. 
It's this thing that's happening. But with tequila in particular, is it PR? It's a little PR. It's a little old-fashioned, like back in the late 30s, early 40s, when vodka hit the scene. It's like, hey, let's show it to Hollywood, and if Hollywood drinks it, we're going to get it nationally known. And so now you have a lot of Hollywood influences, uh, like George Clooney has his own tequila, Uh uh, who just sold that for billions of dollars, and then now owns his own mezcal company under the same name. You're seeing a lot of more up-and-coming people really getting into it, but it's also a, it's a healthier cocktail, or it's a healthier spirit. Is that true? It's, I, I believe so, because it's, <laughs> it comes from one plant, it comes from the ground, and just a beautiful earth and a beautiful country, and there's nothing added to it. It's just a natural process that's been happening for like tens of thousands of years. But isn't it the processing after it's picked? Then what happens to it? It's uh, just as wine all by itself is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, it's but we now know there are over, what did he say, Bailey Pryor? More over, than, a thousand. over a thousand. I think he said more than 2,000 additives yeah. can be added to wine. It would make a vegetarian run because the wine is running yeah. through something that is made from the bladder of a, an animal. and uh, I mean, yeah. it's crazy. So, Iron and oh, yeah. copper. and. Yeah, so, so, so on that note, when you're looking at your tequilas, any whichever brand you like, whichever is your favorite, if you see 100% agave, 100% Blue Weber agave, that's really the only agave that can be used to make tequila is Blue Weber agave. If you just see tequila on the label, that means that only 51% of what's in that bottle is 100% agave. The rest could be rums, could be brandies, could be caramel colors, could be additives, could be sugars. So that's why there's a certain gold tequilas or Joven tequilas that we had in college that gave us those really bad nightmares that we don't want to go back and (laughs) revisit what's happening on the tequila scene right now, which is absolutely just a beautiful thing. So it's actually now... Those 100% agaves are pure spirits. There's nothing else added in those. So introductory level of... Because when you buy many bottles of, of liquor, as you know, oh my goodness, it's hundreds of dollars. Introductory, basic. You're just trying out. You don't want to have something unhealthy. But at a price point you can afford, what do you suggest? Well, I would just, again, go with what you like in your price point. I mean, there are some really lovely luxury tequilas out there right now that okay, are affordable. Luxury? Well, I would say they're luxury and affordable because they are. everybody's going in that 100% Blue Weber Agave all the so time now. The, the... So you're seeing less and less of those mixtos, what they call when they have the, the blend. Oh, okay. So some, some out there, uh, Espelon, Milagro. Um, Milagro, Milagro. We, see that That's, we, we use that once in a while on the show. Um, yeah. It's 100% Blue Weber Agave. It's aggressively priced right now. They're all competing with each other. Uh, Cazadores. Uh, you can always come and visit me at my tequila bar, and we can you know go through a nice tasting anytime you like. Where is that? Is that an actually, it's, it's actually not my tequila bar. I'm actually uh, we just opened a tequila bar in Hamden called Texaco. We're on uh, Whitney Avenue. <laughs> it's the cuisine of the Southern Americas, but we're primarily tequila really authentic Mexican cocktails. So uh, we have uh, over 45 different tequilas, and you can ask me about pretty much any one of them. So the differences in those tequilas that you would buy is, you know, you're a matter of taste. Do you like something that is really grassy, earthy, peppery? That's going to be more on the Blanco side. When you get into your Reposados, which are aged in some type of a barrel from two months to just under a year, there's nothing written in stone that says that your tequila... Two months, it is now Reposado, put it in the bottle. They have two months to under a year. So if you go to your favorite package store and you're walking down the aisle and say, geez, you know, I don't know which one I like. I don't like something that has a lot of oaky flavors or I actually am like a really big whiskey fan. 
just look at the color of what's in the bottle. It's 100% agave tequila, so we know that that's good. If it's a light amber hue, it hasn't spent too much time in barrel, so it's going to have more of that raw agave flavor. And then as you get to the darker, it's getting closer to being aged a year, so it's going to have more of those barrel notes that they used, and it's going to have a little more whiskey forward and a little vanilla and softness. Great. Thank you, Anthony DeSerio, for that lesson. Um, we might as well switch over to Mark Raymond here on the Food Schmooze. Hey there. Hey there, Mark. What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> Hanging I think out. we figured out where the after party's going to be. Hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the wine that you, have you had your rosé yet? Were you cheating? No. Yes. Okay. Huh. Come on. You all oh, cheated oh. a little. Come on. Come on. This is a rosé that we went uh, nuts over on the show because of its price point, because of the purity with which it's made, because of all those additives I was talking about. And so on the show, we have a thing. We don't want things to be too pricey. We want them to be wholesomely good for you. We want them to just taste delicious, go with lots and lots of foods. More and more people interested in dry rosés. So this one came on, and it tastes like a French Sancerre. And we talked about it one time. We're bringing it back a second time because we talked about it once on the show, and 10,000 cases sold out in the blink of an eye. Uh, nowhere. Mark called another state and sent down warehouses full again. So we're putting it back here on the show. Okay, Mark, far away. 11 far away. minutes. 11 minutes. Why is it called that? Because you can drink it in 11 minutes. <laughs> the, whole, the whole bottle. Matter of fact, when I open up a bottle at home, my wife just puts a straw next to it. Nice. But uh, no, seriously, the, the Pasqua family from the, the lovely city of Verona, this is what they consider their Romance Series wines. The wine is sourced all from the shores of Lake Garda. Picture yourself there, right? It's made up of a blend of four grapes, Corvina, which is really well known from the Verona area, Trebbiano Lugano, a little bit of Syrah, and just a touch of Carmenere. And the Carmenere really makes it kind of pop in the nose, gives you that wonderful floral nose, and then you get uh, this beautiful sort of subtle grapefruit note on the, on the palate, but then there's some, I don't know, raspberry, cranberry, there's a little bit of just about everything, but it's really crisp and refreshing, I love to chill it down, and like I said, just uh, put it in the glass, it's beautiful okay. in the glass. Can we do the sensual way of drinking? Your palate is the most alive, I'm sorry to say, at 10 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> So people who go wine tasting as professionals often will go at 10 o'clock in the morning to these vineyards. I don't suggest that for any of us unless you're throwing a brunch. But Mark, this idea of being so aware of the, putting your hand on the chill of a glass, or if it's a red wine that's not so chilled, and you're just looking at that color, and then taking that first sip and just following it down your throat, Mm. and making its way. Then there's this little echo of flavor. And I think, <laughs> oh, you know, because after... <laughs> Whew, get a little warm in the room, huh? Uh, we just went Everyone's to, getting excited. We just went to PG. <laughs> <laughs> because... Uh, <laughs> Now I want to sip. This is where I said it. <laughs> I just this had my sex to that. Hey, baby. Like, um, so after the first few sips, there is some theory. Do you think it's true that you really don't taste so much of the wine afterward? 
it changes in your glass and in the mm. bottle. Why don't you say? Well, you know as the wine it? opens up, a little more oxidation gets to the wine. It definitely evolves and changes. That's why you, when you open a bottle of rosé, you're not going to keep it for a week in the refrigerator. You're going to drink it that day. My favorite question is always, what do you do with the leftover wine? I'm not really familiar with that concept. <laughs> but uh, yes, it definitely evolves in the glass, and, and it takes on different nuances and different aromas. And I think that's one of my favorite things to do is you know sit around with a group of friends, open up a bottle of wine, and as you're sipping it and enjoying it, just kind of having conversation, talking about places you've been, things you've done, and then just kind of realizing that this wine is just not the same wine that we just had, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago. Uh-huh. Fires the imagination, I guess. The, the color, the color, the shape of the bottle, its friendliness with so many kinds of foods, from oh, yeah. eggs, brunch, lunch, dinner, Mother's Day. Mother's Day, oh, right sure. around the corner. Yeah. 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 How much is this a bottle? This is less than $20 a bottle. Huh. Yeah. Can yeah. you pair it with a, a plastic box filled with spaghetti? I don't know if the, with the ketchup spaghetti if this will go. Not with ketchup spaghetti, no. You know what I this mean, is great really with? Sushi is just fantastic oh. with this. Oh. I've come home on a Friday night, ordered red, sushi takeout. Red spaghetti sauce, no. 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 Okay. We'll post it on the website if you forget. Foodschmooze.org. With information about road food and Chris's quesadilla, every single thing. Anyway, thank you so much for your support and interest and just being part of this creative adventure today. We are on Connecticut Public Radio Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes and never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, (laughs) I'm Faith Middleton. Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.